Welcome to Jaipur Bites, the JLF podcast. I'm your host, Laksh Datta. What you're about to hear is a live session from the Jaipur Lit Fest 2022, and it's called Nationhood, Patriotism, and Deshbhakti. Saket Suman, Makarand Arparanjape, Gurmehar Kaur, and Badri Narayan in conversation with Mukulika Banerjee. nationalism and patriotism. And we sometimes mistakenly use them interchangeably. We think nationalism and patriotism are the same thing. It's about the nation. It is about loyalty. It is about attachment. But clearly, they're not the same thing. Otherwise, why would you have two different words? And if you think about the books that our panelists have written, they have words like patriot, nationalism, uh, uh, freedom, republic in their titles. So our speakers today have thought about these terms and I've asked them in preparation for today's panel discussion to elucidate these words a little bit more. The third term is a Hindi word, Deshbhakti. And what does Desh, why are we using the word Deshbhakti alongside these two contentious English terms that, of course, were defined during the colonial period and have had a post-colonial life. We know that, for instance, a great patriot like Tagore thought nationalism was a very dangerous thing, why that was the case. Those are the kind of questions we want us to think about. But if Deshbhakti is a Hindi term, I think one more term that we need to put in there is the word Rashtravadi. It's a word that is used on the street. I'm an anthropologist, I hear it. Which has a series of implications that I think we should think about. If you're not a Rashtravadi, what are you? What is the Hindi word? The word anti-national is an English word. So if Rashtravadi is said, by a young activist on the street to somebody who he does not agree with in their critique of any government, then what is the Hindi word for it? And I'm delighted that we have such bilingual speakers in this panel. So in the order that they came on stage and in the order that their names appear on the program, I've requested the panelists to just elucidate some of these words for about five minutes each, and then we'll come back and sort of have more of an interactive discussion. Do you want to start? Thank you. Hello. Thank you, Professor Banerjee. I have a lot of things to say, but we all have limited time, so I'll come straight to the reading. This is an extract from my book, which sort of summarizes the arguments that I put forth in my book. So I'll come straight to it. Please pay attention. These are not the best of times to be optimistic. These are not the best of times to be nostalgic. 
but patriotism asks of us to cherish our freedom and to honor its sanctity by remembering how we became us and how we lived in our lives in the larger course of the nation we have landed in a phase where we need to look back and identify the reasons why we went wrong we must introspect and ask ourselves how we let our people down we should stop concealing stories of our failures lies and deceptions because patriots are not hypocrites if patriotism is the affection of the people for their country we need to look at and appreciate the things that bind us in this common thread and we should hone and cherish the courage that it takes to speak up for national ideals while recognizing the courage of those who have done so at considerable costs to themselves slowly the haze clears and the epic goddess of india reveals herself to us in quite a different avatar it is on this promise that we have come thus far our hearts beat against our breasts as we reaffirm our will to march onwards in its light but isn't that the colonization of our minds once again like innocent children sing their school songs and build up vivid imaginations in their heads about how their school is the best school that there is and why they should respect its rules like a religion isn't that how they tamed our minds when we were young so on a far greater level mankind as a species all of us will need to realize that the most complex challenges we face are common liberty and equality give patriotism its authority somebody who's not faced with unreasonable restrictions and is treated equally is more likely to feel patriotic than those whose voices are throttled and who have been marginalized by our societies in centuries patriotism means different things to different people because in our society we have different standards of judging people we must respect our people and believe that all are equal in our nations and all nations in the world are equal when there is equality in and among all nations there'll be harmony in the planet when there is harmony in the planet patriotism will drive our zeal to find solutions to mankind's gravest problems to address inequality and give everybody the dignity of our shared evolution from apes to humans that is the ancient indian understanding of vasudeva kutumbakam which finds resonance in my understanding of patriotism until unless we reach there patriotism will remain a sham it will remain an invisible moral authority that prevents us from seeing the invisible from seeing that there are greater things at play that there are deep states that there are corporations and there are powers that be those that do not go away with the rise and fall of the governments they are always there i'll skip some of it in this moment of grief and misery there is a faint gleam of hope that is rising like a beautiful sunrise at the horizon the ordinary citizens of india the most essential depiction of bharat mata have risen to the occasion we have become each other's saviors when everybody in power seems to have deserted us we know that there is only so much we can do when resources are scarce but we hope that change is on its way and we are doing everything we can to ease the pain till then we need to become us again and reflect on the said values that make us indians just because we have fallen we must not let our spirits die just because we are angry 
we must not lose our national pride. Just because we are overcome by sorrow, we must not close all doors for light to seep in. It is a long journey ahead. It is a long journey ahead, a lifelong mission to reignite the eternal flame of India and then to rebuild our lost glory by reinstilling hope in our people. How we as Indians respond in the aftermath of the pandemic will decide the future of our great nation. Are we going to do what our government tells us to or are we going to make the government do what we the people wanted to? Are we going to let the government define what patriotism is or are we going to define it as patriots? Are we going to blindly cheer for populist leaders and their divisive agendas? Or are we going to do the patriotic thing, our bit for the common good? Thank you, Professor Banerjee, Sri Pranjapay, Srinarayan, Gurmehar for sharing the stage with me. My book is available at the festival store and I hope you buy it. It's called The Psychology of a Patriot. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Sakit. That, that, you know what I think is very useful with, uh, with what you've told us, Sakit, is that terms like nationalism, Dej Bhakti, patriotism are concepts, but at the heart of it, the question is what citizens are meant to be doing. And there is, I think, a distinction between being vigilant citizens, which is what democracy demands of you, and being vigilantes, which is what seems to be produced by a certain kind of politics. So, uh, Makarand, over to you. Thank you so much. I think I'm going to follow uh, Saket's example and talk about my book, which is just out. It came yesterday. So, thank you. So, my remarks are in the context of what happened in JNU. The book is called JNU, Nationalism in India's Uncivil War. Now, there are two ways of looking at this book. One is that it is the biography of a university which turns 50 or has turned 50. And a better part, I mean, of the last 20, 30 years when the university really came up, I have been a full professor at JNU since 1999. So I was an insider to some of the events that happened in the last four or five years in which JNU became, as it were, a platform in which ideas of India were debated. And a simplistic way of framing this debate would be national versus anti-national or desh todo versus desh jodo. But what I do in this book is to propose and demonstrate what I call an intermedial hermeneutics. So it's a way of reading which can, in a way, in, you know, create a space between these polarities. And if you do it properly, what is intermedial becomes remedial. It can become healing. Because what I saw in JNU is the destruction of that middle ground of civilized dissent, disagreement, dialogue, discussion. And uh, I was drawn into the vortex of this debate willy-nilly, precisely because of a series of lectures, what the nation needs to know. And I made the point that a university should not be used as a platform to attack an elected government. The main function of a university is academics. And of course, I was surrounded and corralled. And so I evolved this typology of uh, how, you know, these lobbies try to cancel you. I call it the puncher bakar. So first you're branded 
they say you're some Hindutvavadi or you're whatever Brahminical. These are terms, okay? We don't know what they mean. So first you get branded. Then you get browbeaten, okay? That if you don't follow the dominant uh, ideology or the dominant line, they bully you. So branding, then browbeating, then, as I said, bullying, then it's boycott. So if you organize an event, nobody will come. I have four students in my class, okay, even today. So you're under a shadow ban, a shadow boycott, okay? And in your own campus, they say, oh, you're the internal enemy, okay? So then there's the boycott. And if that doesn't work, then there's the fifth bakar, what I call, please pardon the language, bullshit, which is you get engaged in all kinds of nonsensical controversies, you get trolled. And in my case, there were five, I mean, there were 10 open letters written against me and I've replied to them and those open letters are also reproduced here. So this book is actually about Tagore, Gandhi and what's left of the nation. There's very little left of the nation by the time you're done with destroying, you know, what these ideas were. And of course, Tagore was a great critic of nationalism and I have shown his life goes through five phases as Savita Sachi Bhattacharya shows. But, you know, nationalism was a code word in Tagore for imperialism because for him, the nation was extending itself and dominating others. He didn't mean Shodeshi Shomaj, which he wrote about earlier. So all of that is in the book. Then Gandhi's in the book. So the point I'm trying to make is that we have to find a way to talk to each other and not brand each other and create this extremely polarizing and divisive narrative. And a university should still be a place where ideas are debated, discussed, people go to classes. And uh, my university was shut down for two years. You know, there were no classes and there were, there were pitched battles going on. And all of that is here. And I, I dislike the fact that outsiders came to my university and one of my colleagues was also in Manhattan. I was in Shimla at that time. So I've taken positions against uh, the politicization, over-politicization of campuses, the destruction of the intellectual life and freedom, you know? And I want to say this, that India is the most liberal society traditionally because people were not nailed to a cross for their beliefs, you know? And the, liber the liberalism of India was not only physical or emotional, or intellectual, it was spiritual. It's, this is a spiritual democracy. You can follow any path you like, you know. You know, or Ano Bhadra Kritavo Let noble thoughts come to us from all sides. So then you create this narrative, and then I call it a competition between two forms of intolerance. Okay. So we, we don't want, in my view, left intolerance being substituted by right intolerance because there's no right intolerance at all okay so you need a space in india and in universities where many ideas can flourish and there's an interchange and this book actually documents what happened in one university in india which is in the limelight it's always rated as one of the best universities and as an insider i tell exactly what happened and the last thing I want to say is that, you know, there was an attempt to cancel this book. And since I have a non-disclosure agreement, I'm not going to go into the details, but the fact is that 
when the book was going to be released, the cover was made, I, I read the proofs, then something happened. And they said, you know what? The times are difficult. And as a publisher, we don't want to take a risk. So we are going to put it through one more legal read. And then they asked me to make 183 changes or edits or deletions. And I said, this is censorship. So who stands for freedom here? And I wanted to pull out because I didn't have the time, the energy, or the money to afford lawyers and to get into this protracted fight. I wanted my book to come out. So there's a hundred ways you can kill a book is what I want to say. Yeah. And I'm grateful to my publishers, Rupa, for agreeing to publish this book. So if you're interested in India, if you're interested in nationalism and its different varieties, read this book. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Makarin. I'm, I'm assuming that the word uncivil in your, the title of your book refers to the inability to have a dialogue, but also the inability of the state to protect students who are citizens of the country on campus. So the, when the arm of the state, when the police get involved, when people are identified on camera and people like Komal Basin are still out unarrested, when there is evidence that they were wielding sticks to beat students with, that is also a lack of civility. Right? There is no constitutional rights being protected of students. And as another professor, I would, I have a slightly different view of the university to you. I think, of course, that is in fact when students should be discussing whether the government is good or bad. It's, in fact, it is the only time in your life where you're allowed to have extreme emotions, extreme positions, debate, argue, listen. I completely agree that you should learn to listen as well. But it cannot be the case that you have a university where you can't discuss these things. What else are universities for? Right. Thank you. Thank you, Mukhalika. Um, thank you, Saket and Dr. Faranjpe. Well, I don't have a book. I don't have a book with me right now to show you and sell, but please buy it. Um, <laughs> but you know, when I think about patriotism, one of the moment anyone brings up the word, the first memory I have is also one of the first memories of my father, and and how he would, as a child, he would, you know, as a child, instead of holding my hand and saying namaste. Uh, or Satsriyakar, he would, I would salute and say Jehan because he was in the military. And, you know, until, until, until I couldn't because he just wasn't there after, after he passed away in the war. And I don't think in my, you know, ever since I, ever since he's been there, ever since I've lost him, I've never, growing up, I've never thought about patriotism very much. I've never thought about, am I a patriot? Am I not a patriot? You know, I've done the thing, you go, you know, you stand up, in your, you know, you, you cheer for your cricket team when it wins, you watch Chakta India get a bit emotional when, you know, these, these scenes of uh, young women winning come on. Um, and then you stand in your school assembly, sometimes you are excited about the national anthem, sometimes you're not, depends on the breakfast you've had. But ever since, you know, but, but and, I, and, I, and I've never, and I think that's also the same with everybody else, right? Do you remember growing up and really thinking about, are you a patriot? Right? And today we've sort of, 
And today we're having this conversation because we're forced to think of your patriot. We're forced to define patriotism. We're forced to, um, you know, we're forced to define our love for some, you know, our very, very noble, very simple emotion, love for our country, love for our home in these words, in these terms. And not only are we meant to prove it, we're also asked to question whether other people are patriots or not, whether other people are, you know, are nationalists or not. And that's something that I find, you know, deeply, deeply problematic. Um, in 2017, uh, you know, it was my first year of college and I was hounded, you know, we talk about civility and we talk about debate and universities, it was 2017, I'm 19 years old, so my first year in college and I was hounded by politicians, ABVP students, mobs, cricketers, and they all called me anti-national. It's been five years ever since and I've you know, and I've deeply, and I've, and I've taken time to deeply reflect about what, you know, what it means to be Indian and what is India. You know, how do I define my love for my country? And I'm questioning, why do I have to define my love for the country? You know, why is it that there's only, why is it that today there's only one form of patriot, patriotism that is accepted? You know, the chest something war-mongering, hyper-nationalist version. You know, why is it that whenever anyone questions the government, you know, local or central, that, uh, that were labeled anti-national. And I think this, and, and, and for me, you know, my allegiance is to the country. It's not to a man, it's not to a party. Um, and I believe that, you know, and I believe, and I believe that's the same for everyone. Our love is, you know, our love is for this nation. Our love isn't for one man. And I think India is not synonym, if, you know, with, with a party or a man. And finally, Badri, of course, has published a book called Republic of Hindutva, as we heard, and I've uh, requested Badri to really reflect a little bit on the notion of the Republic. Um, it's one that I've been thinking about a lot, writing about democracy, and I would, uh, in one sentence, if I just summarize it, Badri, I would say that you can't have good democratic culture without having a good republic and without uh, citizenship of a republic. But uh, over to you. Yeah, thank you, uh, JLA, for inviting me uh, in this discussion. Uh, see, uh, Republic, why I use the Republic term in my book? Uh, you know, my publisher has also contribution in giving the titles. So, so it's not solely mine, also publisher's contribution in that. But Republic here I use as a metaphor. Metaphor of changing the concept of the Sangh. Because uh, Republic in that way, more uh, flexible, inclusive concept than the nation. You know, nation is a much, uh, it's a bit a strict, uh, rigid category. And the Republic is must, much inclusive. I'm not saying that it's converted in, in, in a Republic, but it's, it's just a kind of the source that changes in the concept. And, you know, uh, uh, there is uh, someone asked to a uh, rural person, a villager, what is desh for you? She said, jahan tak dikhta hai, wahan tak desh hai. Uske baad bhi desh hai. So, so desh in that way is very, very interesting concept. So, uh, I, I tell you one very interesting experience in this election. Uh, RSS cadres were going to the villages, talking to the MBCs and uh, Dalit people. And saying Rast, they were not saying ki BJP ko vote dena hai. They were saying Rast ke naam par is par vote dena hai. Is par Rast ke naam pe vote diye chahiye. 
so we followed them after five six days we again visited to that area and tried to see what happened of this rust and uh, we went when we went to there everyone started saying bahut mahangai hai bahut garibi hai bahut hi this and bahut that fir ka kya karenge kaha desh ke naam pe vote denge desh ke liye vote denge so rust become desh rust is perceived as desh it is in your mind i don't know what is in which concept rust means for you but for commoner for the subaltern for the marginal people rashtri desh aur desh jo jahan tak dikhta hai jahan wahi desh do the desh means the mati pani mati pani jisko se aap feel kar sake jisko which you can experience that's desh for them so every day meaning of the uh, meaning of the nation in everyday life has a different connotation and that connotation is the connotation of desh so and this desh is in in is, uh, does not come from the outside it originates from your uh, everyday experience in their uh, in your life and and but but it may be evoked it may be mobilized it may be uh, used in certain context but for public it's desh so so desh is is a in that way bhav and but this bhav may be recreated uh, uh, activated by various kinds of ways Uh, of uh, various kinds of creative culture of evocation that can, that may be different thing so uh, republic i use uh, just to show that how uh, this uh, rss and, and and they are walking uh, sorry rss and they are walking uh, style and the the ways they are going to walk is is trying to include others and in that process their vocabularies are also being changed they are they are also being changed in that process because they want to enter in a domain which was uh, which was which has very different vocabulary uh, uh, very different dictionary if you go in villages and talk to the people rashtra jante hain no one knows about rashtra if you talk to people jantantra jante hain no one knows about jantantra but they know dignity they know samman so so uh, uh, the way uh, rss and the sangh organizations are dealing with the these communities with with uh, facilitating their their samman in that way they are trying to re- that's why i said in that book reshaping uh, uh, reshaping democracy because uh, this is a reshaping reshaping uh, in terms of in, in a very different diction in a very different way but it has not it conceptualized well Uh, it has not been well, well conceptualized because we have not done much research on that so there is a need to document the entire processes of these new changes and then we can reconceptualize that what is happening uh, in in this uh, is this domain of uh, using nation or discussing about nation and discussing about desh and how this desh is being perceived by uh, this uh, common people so aapne dekha hoga ki rashtra देश के नाम पर वोट देंगे यानी in the way that the english word is and the distinction between rashtra and nation and desh and and the republic are in fact critical here 
What we haven't talked about at all is bhakti. Desh bhakti is also in the title, and neither, neither of, none of our panelists have yet talked about either Desh bhakti or just the bhakti word that has come into the lexicon now, and we must unpack that too. Now, at this point, the panelists continue to talk, and you just sit there waiting with your questions, and then we take only two. So I'm going to change things slightly and start taking questions now. I know that you have questions and you want rebuttals to uh, come back, and of course you'll get a chance to do that. But perhaps you could do that in response to a question from the audience as well, incorporate it in. So does anyone have an early question? Otherwise, we have plenty to talk about. Yeah, there's I, someone, I, uh, yeah, all of you just charge your mics. Um, I, I we have a question there. It's a quick point, but I don't mind being. Okay, let's wait. Let, there's a gentleman ready. Hi, uh, hi, this is Imtiazal. Uh, when we were students... Uh, Can you hold it for, closer to yourself? We can't hear you. Uh, is it an effort of the government to keep uh, the university apolitical? Just because uh, if they are more aware and they will ask questions, that will hurt them. Because during our time when we were students, some of us uh, got Shoko's notice from the vice chancellor that your son is involved in subversive activity. And in bracket, it was written as pamphlet and postering. What's that? And what? we were. And Sorry, in brackets, it was written what? Pamphlet and postering. Pamphlet and postering. And we were fighting against fee hype. What? We were fighting against fee hype. High of the fees in the campus. Oh my. Okay, can I just come in for yes. a quick moment? I mean, this book also has this agitation over the fee hike in JNU. Now the fees are 20 rupees a month, okay? It's not enough to pay the salary of one professor. So this is what I call pseudo-socialism, all right? There has to be some correlation, all right? There has to be some correlation between the cost of education and what you pay for it. And I've written in this book, give everybody a loan so that they can get educated. But you want free, I mean, look, what happened in JNU, things have changed, but people stayed for 10 years, 15 years, cheap food, subsidized lodging, and you use the whole university as a platform to elect, uh, to, to criticize, I, I don't mind criticism, but to try to actually unseat an elected government and you don't go to classes. Excuse me, what's the university for? Is it for patronizing a class or cadre of parasitic people? All that they've trained in doing is politicking. And you ask them in an English department to write one paragraph. They can't write one paragraph of sensible prose. So this was going on. And I'm really sorry, Gordon Mahar. One minute, I'll just take one minute. Let me finish my point. Don't interrupt me. Let me finish my point. Another minute. Yeah, a minute. I'm very sorry to hear what happened to Gurmeh. Mahar. Nobody should be called an anti-national for criticizing their government. It is my government. I pay taxes. I'm a stakeholder. I'm against sedition laws. This is rubbish. This is a colonial inheritance, but every party has used it. But it's not that one lot is intolerant. You see, you call somebody a Sanghi, you call somebody a Chaddi, you call somebody a Bhakt. That's a form of, you know, intolerance of the worst kind. Why, why is anybody untouchable? 
therefore, therefore, what I'm saying is our nationalism shouldn't be so thick-skinned as in a neighboring country that you can put people in concentration camps, break down the houses of worship, and they don't, international opinion doesn't count. Nor should it be so thick-skinned that you can't stand criticism. You know, of course we should have criticism. That's what universities are for. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Of course we should have criticisms. Whatever we may think of students, and I say this, the older I get as a professor, the more under, the further I get away from the age group of students, the more sympathetic I am. Because if they are making misguided criticisms, they are making unreasonable demands, you don't let the police unleash violence on them. That can't be right, right? You don't do And if we have the technology to find the people who were wielding violence and they run free, what kind of a what kind of institution? Forget whether it's JNU, whether it's DU. I'm a DO student. Let me just say, record clear. I'm not a JNU alumna. Any university, LSE, where I teach, what kind of a university is this? The fee hike, you talk about, you know, this representation of parasites, misguided socialism. There are some institutions that require patronage so that you give a small chance to a student from a small little village somewhere in Odisha to come to Delhi for that student, it would be unthinkable to come and study in Delhi. If that means as a taxpayer, my money subsidizes the student, we do it. That's uh, I didn't know the moderator was a part of this debate and is taking sides. I mean, she's okay. getting so... Can I come in now? Yes, I'll come in now. I'll come in now. I think there are only pay, two women on the panel. You've had your time. You've had your time. I'm sorry. There are only two women on the panel. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, let me tell you in Hindi because there is a lot of talk about the future. So, understand this thing. I haven't read your book and I'm least qualified to comment on it. So, it's not a comment on your book. Neither your ability or anything like that, nor your credentials. You're very qualified and I have full respect for you. But having said that, इस हॉल में बैठे सब लोग बराबर नहीं हैं। जी? इस हॉल में बैठे सभी लोग बराबर नहीं हैं। हमारे देश के सभी लोग बराबर नहीं हैं। तो जब आप ये जेनु के 20 रुपए की बात कर रहे हो ना फीस की, या आप कुरेद रहे हो, या आप लोगों को तंग कर रहे हो। 20 रुपए, 20 रुपए भी लोगों का सपना होता है। In a country where people are dying of starvation, you cannot do that. Number one, number two, number two, कुछ चीजें राष्ट्र सेवा होती है। so public universities, if you are taking one you should not be doing that, first of all. You should not be doing that, first of all, instead of saying that you can't give 20 rupees, you can't give 20 rupees, you can't give 20 rupees, you can't give 20 rupees. You know, I want to say, make it, make it free. Make it free. I've said it in the book. Don't make it 20. Don't have a pretense of giving fees. Make okay. it free Excellent. and make them attend classes. Excellent. That's my point. That's fair. Make them attend classes as well. Are there any women? There's a woman here. Yeah. Uh, 
just a quick question does the idea of desh and desh bhakti change when it is uh, uh, as a doctrine when it's been given up does the idea when you're speaking of desh bhakti sorry yeah, I don't see too many people wearing masks anyway. So um, the idea of desh and desh bhakti, does it change uh, when you're at the receiving end of it and at the um, Excellent question. doctrine Thank end you. of it? Okay, let's hold that. Does the idea of desh bhakti change if you're at the receiving end of it or when you're meeting it up? So just park that idea. Can we take a couple of, there's a gentleman right at the back. Yeah, good afternoon. Um, I have not so much a question, but uh, an observation. We talked about, and especially you, Ms. Kaur, I was very taken by what uh, occurred to you, uh, that you are with the government, and if you are not with the government, in whatever policy, then you are anti-national. We have seen this many times that come up in newspapers, in the media, people talk about it. So it suddenly struck me that in an election, if you do not vote for the incumbent government, and you vote against them, as indeed has happened across the country today, that the ruling party, the party that has won, has got about 40% of the vote. 60% was not won by the party that has actually won. Does this mean that 60% who voted against that party are anti-national? Because they voted against the party that is in power. So it's just an observation. I want to know, what do you think about that? Okay, so I don't know whether it sounds really not very good, but the question is people who don't. BJP at the moment at the central government has a 35% vote share. What happens to the rest of the 65% if you don't vote for the ruling party? Are you a Desh Drohi or an anti-national? Okay. There's a young woman here. Sorry, I didn't mean to say that. A woman here. I'm not being ageist. Uh, so, for a lot of us, patriotism is about loyalty to, let's say, the democratic ethos of the Constitution or the pluralistic, syncretic values that we hold dear to ourselves. So, when there's a certain narrative out there where nationalism is, let's say, more about geographical territory than being people-centric or citizen-centric, do you think it's because of our inability to work out a post-colonial, a post-monarchical definition of uh, nationalism, because sort of the territ like colonial power was about territorial expansion. So, do you think that it's it's sort of our inability to work out a, a version of nationalism that is different from what colonial legacy has? Thank you. Us? Okay. So, is post-colonial nationalism different from the nationalism of the, of the independence movement? We'll take one question. There's a woman here in the on, in the red, and. That will be our last question because that leaves you all about a minute to respond uh, till the end. Yeah, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, I have more of a narrative that I would just quickly want to share that I was, I'm a student from Jamia and I was doing my mass communication when the protests happened. And uh, at that point of time, the emotional anxieties of all the students and you know, the way the media brandished the entire college in a certain way. So much so that when I went for a debate competition to another college of the Delhi University, they saw my ID card. They took me Alaksi, to another corner to check my bag and my you know, belongings thoroughly where it wasn't happening for any of the other students. Or when you go on stage to, you know, to deliver your speech and you end up winning, you will hear people talking about the fact that you know, it's a Jamia student winning in a college which is, you know, over, which is you know, there is a majority uh, of people who do not agree with what you've said on stage. So What's at that question? point, uh, 
yeah so at that point of time how do you deal with it also you know because when uh, at that point of time you also feel that you know when you're saying something against the majority it's also it also becomes a privilege because you have the voice and the agency to say it so how do you you know overcome that and how do you empower people who do not have this kind of privilege to thank talk you. about it in more in more, in a way more effective manner okay yeah. thank you i'm going to forego my one minute and take one more question so this gentleman right in front here wait for the microphone please but quickly you have 30 seconds yeah so basically i i think the gentleman over there said that jnu is in a very dilapidated state and basically it's not uh, it's it's not the kind of uh, university that it should be but then when it comes to the rankings it it is one of the most esteemed institutions in the country so i don't understand the dichotomy over here when the government says that jnu is basically a hub for communists a hub for leftists and a hub for all these people but then ultimately they are they are probably ranking them as one of the best institutions in the country and then one 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 last thing i want to say that uh, the best thing about bjp is that uh, there's a quote by arthur schopenhauer which is that one who caters to the fool will always be assured of a large audience and demagoguery is one thing that is ever present in the indian democracy so be it modi he he very sort of with with a lot of chest Sorry, thumping said that he don't make speeches we're running out okay. of time so Thank just you. my question is that why in the 21st century we are still obsessed with demagogue demagoguery nationalism and we don't actually want votes on the basis of work or or other things that matter so that would Thank be my question thank you thank you civility is also giving people the space to respond thank you so we'll start we'll turn the order around Padri will start. Padri, talk about the non-JNU bits. Many arguments have come up about vote shares. If you don't vote for the government, why don't you address those questions? And maybe from the lady from Jamia. So over to you. Uh, this is very polarized <laughs> atmosphere. <laughs> polarized in terms of questions and answers. Yeah. We are more polarized than them. They are representing everybody. uh see uh, i am going to respond only one question uh about deshbhakti how deshbhakti is being received or for me deshbhakti desh is a bhav and desh is as a bhav flows in our culture you know if you have folk songs you have lot of stories defining desh not nation desh desh has different meaning as i said uh kolkata is also videsh sometimes in, in folk songs so so desh uh, uh, so desh has multiple meaning in our society and we we receive it in our own ways uh, subaltern elites uh, they have different notions of the desh and the caste uh, so desh as a bhav it has a multiple ways of receiving it and and uh, everyone add in that uh, add in that the meaning in with your own imagination and in that way they invent uh, their nation अपना देश खुद बनाते हैं देश कोई आपको देता नहीं है देश आपके भीतर आप खुद रचते हैं अपना देश और रोज रोज रचते हैं और जो वो किसी के डिफाइन करने और किसी के रोकने से नहीं रुकता है वो एक भाव है जो एक सर्टेन कंडीशन में आप उसको रोक भी कर सकते हैं आप उसको पोलिटिकली यूज भी कर सकते हैं आप उसको एक सामाजिक भाव में भी बदल सकते हैं बस बनाना पड़ता है। 
in the students. I was very active in student politics um, and student activism in, in the EU. Um, and Saket, of course, has responded to the to to the comment on fee hike and what it means. You know how much the paying those twenty rupees mean mean for the for you know for students of the country. But I do want to talk about you know why is it why is why is it that professors here um, do not professors here do not support political participation of students. Right? Politics is not just for people in political parties. Politics is not just for people outside um, outside these institutions. Politics is for every single citizen, including including the students in JNU, including the students in DU. And 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 a university is a you know and a university as adults, as, a, as in a university, you know, a university is a space to debate, to talk, to participate in protest, you, to exercise our constitutional rights, um, to say that it's not a space for that, to say that activism is parasitic activity or whatever you call it, it's deeply offensive and completely wrong and very unacademic, like I have Thanks. to say. What is, what is unacademic is the straw man fallacy that you don't represent what somebody said accurately and you represent a very weak version of it and then try to refute it. The primary purpose of a university is to get an education, not to do politics. That's what I said. I did both. No, one minute. You did both, so I'm not calling you Everyone a parasite. No, no, there are people who shut the university down and do only politics. That's what I oppose. You attend classes, rest of the time is yours, okay? So please read the book and don't misrepresent what I said, okay? Now, I want to come to the main point, which is Desh Bhakti. Look, yesterday there was a panel in this hall about the Shakti Peets. You know, the idea of mother worship is very old in this, in this country. So the different parts of the mother goddess are all over the subcontinent. That is the sacred geography of India. And in 19th century, Bunkin created the idea of Mother India, Bhavani Bharati. Okay, and this was used to mobilize people to throw out the British and to unite the country. Now, you want to reverse all of this. Bhakti simply means, look, we are a nation, as he said, bhav samarpan, bhav dete hain, bhav lete hain. This is an emotional country. That's why Bollywood films are melodramas and tearjerkers. And the real point is, who is a bhakt? A bhakt is somebody who's not vibhakt, somebody who is not divided. And that is the point. And I want to make one last point. We talk about that gentleman said 60% voted against so-and-so. That's not the point. The person who was the JNU Student Association president got 800 votes, okay? And out of 8,000 possible students, but he had or 1,200 votes. So he had 250 votes more than the second person. And he says, somebody who got... 32% of the votes of the entire country of 1.4 billion is not legitimate. He's legitimate with 1,200 votes. This is the kind of what I call the idiocy, the half-baked thinking, and I want to end by this. This country has thought phobia. This country has competence phobia. This country has truth phobia. So unless you get out of these- We really have to give the last, sorry. The organizers want. Sorry, I need to speak. Every, I, I have my give him, give him one minute. Seconds. Thank you. Say Please do not interrupt. Yeah. I'm so sorry. So, as writers, we should try and understand 
instead of arguing. As far as I'm concerned, I believe in constructive conversation rather than or as opposed to destructive criticism. So I will start by reading each of your books and try to get a better sense of what your perspectives are rather than keeping on arguing. And as long as we are able to have this sort of conversation, we are good to go. We are good as a country. We what should not be so pessimistic about all of it. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Jepper Bites. I'm your host, Lakshdatta. This podcast is produced by Launchora in association with Teamwork Arts. Please follow or subscribe to this show wherever you're listening to this to be notified about new episodes.